it is okay for you to feel a little like uncomfortable, a little nervous about it. Your students will feel that same way. And being able to feed off of that and them seeing your authenticity about it, I think will be what leads to your success. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. today's episode of Learning Unboxed, um, we have a very special guest with us today. We're going to be talking with Jessa Goldner, who is part of the PAST Foundation Student Experience Team. And what I'm super excited about is that I have been watching for at least the last six months or so as Jessa has been thinking about and doing all the design work around an environmental science program specifically geared towards elementary students. And she's been doing this work at KIPP Columbus, which is one of our area local schools that has an amazing outdoor space. And so welcome, Jessa. Hello. Happy to be here. Excellent. So let's start with the most high level, Jessa, recognizing that uh, we have listeners that come to this program from all over the world, from a variety of different settings and backgrounds and experiences. So first and foremost, let's set the stage for folks who might not be familiar with KIPP in particular. So what the heck is this thing called KIPP as a school within our sort of ecosystem of schools locally? Yeah, so KIPP is a giant campus. Um, it has every grade from actually like before preschool all the way to 12th grade. And within that it has all different buildings. Um, it is a public charter school. So you go through an application process, but then once you get in, um, you're in for the rest of your schooling. And we are working out of a building that is called their Battelle Environmental Center. And that is kind of in the, the middle of the campus. And it's a really great place for all of the different grades to come and learn about the environment. Yeah, we just get to get to work with the, all the kids. And you were talking about the, the one that we're doing specifically for elementary school students. So that is for rising first through fourth grade. Right. And before we get into the details of the program, so, um, you know, as, as Jessa said, so KIPP is a public charter that's within the city of Columbus, Columbus City Schools. And it is also um, within Franklin County in the state of Ohio. Not all states across the U.S. for our international listeners um, allow charters, um, but Ohio is a school that does. But again, this is a public school experience. And so, but this is a unique KIPP campus in the entire KIPP ecosystem, which their KIPP schools stretched in multiple states or across the nation. What makes this KIPP so unique? It is on 123-ish acres, I believe, um, is what it is, campus. And so, yeah, the buildings take up a, a chunk of that, but then everything else is land that is accessible to the students where a lot of inner city schools, they don't have, have that access to outdoors 
although you can do great outdoor education, even if you're looking at the side of a building, um, it is great to, to have access to trees and ponds and all of that that KIPP Campus does actually have. And so that was one of the reasons that KIPP partnered with Past Foundation is because they wanted to tap into our ability to design great great STEM and STEAM, you know, programs um, that can be utilized, but more importantly than that past foundation tapped into bringing just a bullner on because your particular background and passion is in environmental education and everything that has to do with getting kids out into nature. So let's start pretty high level. So what was the primary intent or goals, I guess, if it, if it will, for you, you know, you, you know, we've, we're coming off a pandemic, which everybody is well aware of. And so despite that, you actually did get to, in the last year, do some work out at KIPP, both in person and some, some virtual work. So you had a pretty good sense of sort of what the potential was of this location. So talk to us a little bit about when you were thinking about designing programming specifically to run this summer, and then we'll get into the work that you're gonna be doing in the coming year here in just a minute. What are you thinking about as it relates to making sure that you're doing really, really great program content design and development for elementary kiddos in science education when full disclosure, again, for our international listeners in the United States, we don't, we don't test in most states science in elementary school, or certainly not in the, the earliest grade levels. And yet we know foundationally and fundamentally that science and curiosity are absolutely keys for student success. So how do you wrestle with this sort of quandary when you're thinking about what you design? Yeah, so getting to go out there what you were speaking about, I got to go um, and do an after-school program, um, very, very low amount of kids. And those were actually different groups of grades as well. So I got to do the elementary up to early middle school grades. And from that, I was able to see that like they had gone outside into this space that Kip has, but they hadn't really explored it. So they have gone out there, gone on walks, and that could be with their classroom or with another after-school program, for example. But they hadn't really looked at a tree up close or looked at what was inside of the pond. And though we weren't able to do too, like go into, into too much detail with the after-school program because it was only an hour long, I was able to see that they were curious about those things because when we would go outside, they would ask those questions like, what is this? Why is this this way? And I also got the privilege of being there at the late winter going into spring. And so I got to see how the campus itself transformed, became like this very vivid place of, of life. Um, and that sparked so much curiosity in myself um, that led to kind of the programming that I wanted. I also am really passionate about um, mindfulness and how we have all of this research on mindfulness practices and how good they are. We all have all this research about outdoor education, how good it is. But we don't have much of combining the two. And I'm just like, well, why, why is there this disconnect between the two? Um, and then going back to elementary school where they don't have the science, um, but they have that mindfulness that is now embedded into classrooms. And so kind of piggybacking on that and using that in the outdoors to be almost like the, the thing that opens the door for them. So they know they have some of these practices of 
if I need a second, like I'm getting angry. If a kid is feeling angry, they know that they need to take a second away because in the classroom, we have that habit. But how can we do that in the outdoors um, and using that as well in my so before we get into the nuts and bolts of the actual content you created, because I do want to talk about that, um, I am really curious because one of the things that, that certainly I have seen in my years of being involved in this work and certainly my travels all around the globe, looking at and thinking about education in a variety of different places, it is not uncommon. It is not uncommon, especially in urban areas, no matter U.S. or other, other cities as well. This is, a, this is a common thing. I see this lots of places. Urban kids oftentimes aren't very comfortable in the outdoors, much less have, to your point, have spent much time exploring it. And so oftentimes there's a fair amount of trepidation. There's, there's this fear factor, this sort of unknown that, oh my gosh, you know, it's fine for me to look at, at the environment, you know, on my television or on, you know, an iPad screen or whatnot, but to actually go out there and be part of it, allow the bugs to land on me, the frogs to hop across my toes, to get dirty, to get in the mud, to, you know, that's not necessarily something that a lot of urban kids are comfortable with. So, so how do you, how do you wrestle with that component as you're thinking about immersing kiddos in something that for some could be wickedly uncomfortable? Well, so definitely, so you start out slow, but then you also looking or observing the students outside and seeing seeing their comfortability level. I also do this thing at the beginning of my classes where I have this little mind pie chart and it has um, very has little pieces of pie cut out of the circle and one has like very comfortable, comfortable, not so comfortable, not comfortable at all. And they take a piece of nature, like a rock or a stick, and they put it into that piece of the pie right off the beginning before we even go outside. And then at the end of the week, we come back to that and see where we are. And I encourage whenever... There's always people that are very comfortable, yeah, actually, yeah. Uh, or at least think that they are very comfortable. Um, and I always encourage them. I say, if you pl- place your object in that very comfortable spot, you know, be be mindful of your fellow friends and either help them out, show them that something isn't actually as scary as it is, or also see their boundaries and don't try and push them too far. Though, when we go outside, it never failed. There was always kids that wanted to roll down the hill. So they aren't scared of the grass. And then we would go and there's, you know, maybe say there's a group of 10 of us and we find a little frog. So maybe there's a one or two people that are afraid of the frog, but there's always at least one kid that isn't scared of the frog and puts it in their hand. And then seeing a fellow student have it in their hand and nothing bad happened to it, it encourages every other one of them. Um, and then, you know, that one that was scared puts it in their hand and they just light up. And that just is so amazing to see like something that I grew up doing. And like, I have a really great picture of myself. We scooped a big old um, bullfrog out of our pool and I'm there holding it like (laughs) in my hands um, and was never afraid of that stuff. But to know that some kids have never gotten that. They've never gotten to put their feet into the mud on the side of a pond. Um, And it's just those little, it doesn't have to be something so grand all the time. Um, It can be something just like that. And you can see how each little, each little experience gets them more comfortable. Yeah. 
a bug and a bee flying by your face isn't so comfortable. Um, I have a fear of spiders. Um, <laughs> but whenever I'm around the kids, I'm like, it's okay. And I have to take that into myself, my internal of like, it's okay. It's just a spider. It won't hurt us because I do know that it won't hurt us. But, you know, I still have this fear for some reason. So you let the kids yeah. sort of see you as an active learner with them. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's a really um, key component. Yeah. And it's also when they find something, even it's, if it's something that you've seen. So we saw so many baby frogs this summer and every time they were so excited and you also have to be so excited nice. every time you have to like solidify that that is something to be excited about okay. every time. Yes. All right. So let's get into some of the, the nuts and bolts about the actual programming you did. So, so talk us through a couple of the activity elements, so, you know, something that you, 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 you like the most. And we will, you know, make sure that for anybody that's interested, we will put some of the program elements, we will make them available um, online so you can download them and anybody would be able to reach out to you, obviously, and ask you questions about how could I do this or what would it look like. But but share with us a couple of the activities and, and why you made the decisions that you did around, I'm going to do this as opposed to something else over here. One of the very, like, most simple ones, um, we got little paint chips, just like from Walmart, you know, and we go on a nature walk and the kids have to find that color in nature. So just in other words, the paint strips, correct. like the, 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 the strip yeah, of green colors or blues or whatever, right? Shade. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's something you don't spend any money on it, you know, and you just go out there. And at first I was like, oh, the little kids, they're going to lose interest. They kept coming back. I ran out of colors, honestly, <laughs> of, of them doing it. And when they would come, they'd be like, oh, like this one looks like this one looks like it. Or they're like, oh, this one's blue. So I'm going to make it the sky. And like, I want to challenge you to see if you can find something else that is blue. And so this activity is making them better observers. So, you know, when we have the green, for example, there is so much green um, out at KIPP campus, very fortunately, but I wanted them to not just pick, you know, I handed them the thing, they looked down the grass, oh, there's green, but, but look closer. And um, as we went further into our walk, there were people like finding bugs that had different colors, finding flowers or like the middle part of the flower. And definitely in those little, little kids, completely like blew past my expectations. Um, so you're so really tapping into see, think, wonder, right? Yeah. You're yeah. really, really utilizing that instructional strategy as a way to get these kids to be better observers. And as better observers, then what can you do with them now yeah. from an activity standpoint? So you've taught them to observe. So what do you as an instructor think about what's next for them? So, yeah, so once they're better observers, then they are better, they are better communicators. Um, and so then you can go deeper into each activity. So um, we did an activity where they um, had to find macroinvertebrates that were in the stream. Um, and then from those macroinvertebrates, they had to compare them to, we had a list you know, we had a little picture um, and they had to like match them mm -hmm. to what was on that list. So what they saw um, that was underneath their rock, for example. And again, like the, all of them were really, um, really engaged with that. Yeah. It, it, at the highest level, yeah, it's just kind of matching at pictures, but we've got to go a little bit further into that and talk about water quality, for example, and 
see how, oh, like these macroinvertebrates, they have green, meaning that they're only really found in really high quality water. So what does that mean? And then from there, they had to, you know, um, do some infer um, yeah, inferences of that. So that was a really good activity as well. Um, and then um, kind of also going off of that was one where we, I wasn't sure we had a um, life in the forest week and I really wanted to do tree identification. That's not something that I am so like an expert at by any means, but I wanted to do some like high level but I knew that the Department of Forestry was coming in. And so I kind of wanted to do it after they came in to see if they did any programming with us. And they actually did a really great programming that had identifying leaves and they had also a key. And we kind of just tried it out to see if they would be good at it. And again, they were really great at it. And they didn't just do the identification, but they read about it. And they saw that, oh, this is a simple leaf. So I need to know where I can find that in this identification key. This is a compound leaf. Where is that in here? So your little first and second graders were able to do this between simple and compound leaves and and wax poetically, I have no doubt, right? At the end of all of this. Yeah. Yeah. So those were the ones that really stood out to me, but they also loved making arts and crafts, which was which was a lot of fun, utilizing nature into our arts and crafts. And again, observing it and seeing it in a different way. Um, that was another really big thing I wanted to put into them. And as I recall, one of the things that you did as you thought about and structured all of this is you really thought about the kip campus as a ser series of biomes, of connected biomes, right? Which again, Biomes is something we study, but we often wait until middle or high school to really, really dig into what that means. And so we don't always see expression of biome as something that you're doing um, with the, our smallest sort of, you know, itty bitties um, in our sort of school settings. So you talked about sort of the, you know, walk or the life in the forest. So what would just share with our, our listeners? What were the other biomes? How did you think yeah. about this? Um, so that first week was environmental curiosity. So getting them curious about it starting those observation skills. That was that first week. The second week was life in the water. And so there we got to look at the both the pond that we are very fortunate to have there um, and then also Alum Creek. And then um, the third week was life in the sky. So talking about aviation, birds, um, sun, bugs. all of that yeah, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then life in the forest was that last one where we talked about more um, mammals and um, yeah, like plants and trees and all that sort of stuff were rolled into that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I assume that as you were working on all of this and living with the kiddos actually engaged in doing this, there were some surprises along the way, right? So share with us. I always love to ask that question, right? Because we can be the best planners ever. And the reality of it is the minute we implement with our kids can surprise us. And I know you had some surprises. So share a surprise or two with our listeners. Um, well, just like the overall surprise of planning too much. I was doing that, but it just solidified that it's good to plan a lot because you will go through things quicker sometimes than you intended. And, but then also there are things that will take a lot longer right. um, or you will see that they are enjoying it more. Like, for example, we got to dissect um, owl pellets yeah. and I thought, oh, these little kids, they're going to be done in a little. They took two hours yeah. dissected and they were engaged the whole time. Um, so yeah, so planning 
a lot of activities because you never know when you're going to have to pull something out of your back pocket. So be, yeah, being good at that. And I think that one of the other things that I loved about that, and the owl pellets is a perfect example, right? Because, you know, one of the things that'll, that, and elementary teachers, I would argue universally, are better at problem and project-based, even though they may not use those sorts of words themselves. They think of it as inquiry. They also think about the fact that they're doing a fair amount of integrating of topics along the way because it's a single teacher in a classroom teaching all the stuff, right? So elementary teachers get to wear sort of that universal, I'm a fully inclusive instructor anyway by design. But I think one of the other value propositions here is despite the fact that elementary teachers by their very nature and their training are really adept at that, environmental school settings, I don't mean the environment outside, I meant truly the environment that is your structured or formal school setting, oftentimes still squashes the just go with the flow, let's live in the moment of the students being curious and wanting to dig a little bit deeper. And the reality is that the program that you utilized this summer, versions of that will likely be implemented this fall as an opportunity to have even more students engage in the same content. And any teacher, any teacher can teach reading, math, through science. And although we intuitively know that, sometimes it's very difficult to get our administrations to get on board with the fact that, you know, for the next two weeks, we're going we're gonna to learn everything there is to learn by studying these frogs out at the pond. But it's possible. And it's not just possible, it's doable and it's fun and it's manageable. So, so what do you say to that teacher that says, hey, I really, really want to do that, but how do I even approach being able to do that? And, not, and I'm not talking about the conversation with your building leaders. Yes, you have to go do that. But how do you shift your own mindset to say, I'm going to be all in? Ooh, yeah. So, because you're battling that yeah. every, every day when mm-hmm. you take your outdoor programs that you do in the summer and you say, let's do this in school, right? Yeah. yeah. I think it's just showing them how versatile it is. It's more, yeah, more so showing that educator, taking them through that process, doing the whole activity with them, making them the student. Then at the end, they most likely will have that aha moment of like, wow, that was actually a lot of fun. And here are all of the things that I learned. And here are all the things that my students would learn from going through this activity in this way. Mm-hmm. All the standards. Because mm-hmm. you, you, the number of standards you hit this summer, yeah. I mean, is it really, quite frankly, fairly mind-boggling. If you think about the fact that you had these kids for a week at a time, and some of the kids did multiples and variety of different configurations, right? But the reality of it is you were able to teach a tremendous amount of elementary content in the time you had those kids. Yeah, we were asked by KIPP to make a lot of it also literacy-based as well. And so, although I had kind of already planned on incorporating that in various ways with journaling um, and such things, but we even, because we were asked about it, we were even doing it a little more intentionally and going going through it about it in that way um, because they had said that, yeah, the, the younger kids have lost a lot of that literacy. And so then, yeah, it's just, a, it, it, was, it was almost like, oh, it's kind of a given that we were already implementing literacy into what we were doing because I had the activities that I had already wanted to do kind of already 
incorporated them. We did, you know, you do have to switch a little bit for the first and second versus the third and fourth because they do have a little bit of differences in what they could do. But honestly, all of our first and second graders were able to write their name. Um, I know that that was something that one of the KIPP um, admin had said, like, make sure that they know how to write their name and make sure that they can like count up to a certain number. And all of our students were actually able to do that before coming to us. And so because they did have that, we were able to like push them a little bit harder in that literacy aspect. But it's, I don't want to say it's easy because you do have to think about it a little bit harder. And like you're saying, like change your, your whole like pedagogy, honestly, of how you've, how you have learned to talk, how have you have been taught even. I've just been given the great privilege of kind of being taught in that way, not through my K through 12, but um, in my professional life has been, so it's almost like my, the only way I've ever kind of seen it is it's easy that way. But it's, it's something that once you start thinking that way, you can't stop yeah. thinking that way. Yeah. Well, I would agree, but I mean, you know, that's, that's sort of, sort of yeah. my mindset too. So I always like to close the program by really sort of thinking about the fact that there are folks that are listening in there, you know, they're saying to themselves, wow, you know, I can do what Justin's doing. I can do that in my own classroom. I can do it in the grounds around my school. I can do it in my neighborhood. I might be in a rural setting. I might be in an urban setting and that doesn't really matter. But sometimes it's that first leap of stretching outside of this is what I do every year. And I've been doing it every year for the last 15 years that I've been as a teacher. And, and I kind of just, And especially in the wake of coming off of a global pandemic, the world has handed us, for better or worse, right, an opportunity to say, it's a different place. And so I'm going to be a different kind of teacher or instructor, right? I don't know what that's going to look like, but I really, you know, I'm inspired by what I just heard Jessa say, and I want to do that too. So how do I get started, Jessa? Because getting out the door sometimes is the hardest part. How, how How do I start on this journey as... So many schools are starting right now, right? Um, and there is so much outdoor learning that can happen in the in the fall, no matter where you are. How do I get started? I would encourage start slow. You might be first time you're taking your kids outside. It might also be the kids' first time outside. So if it is just even taking your kids out, um, like for example, Kip has this little amplifier, mm-hmm. uh, taking them out there and doing your reading lesson there, doing your math lesson there. Like on the steps, they're sitting, they're on like concrete, very low actual nature other than they're breathing fresh air. They're getting to see everything. They're out there. I would say do that first. I also want to acknowledge that some classes, they have 30 students, 30 middle schoolers. That can be a lot, especially on that first through 20th time outside. So yeah, so starting slow, understanding that, it is okay for you to feel a little like uncomfortable, a little nervous about it. Your students will feel that same way. And being able to feed off of that and them seeing your authentic authenticity about it, I think will be what leads to your success. Um, and so, yeah, so go out, go on just a doing your class outside. Then maybe you go on a short walk, you know, between. You go outside, you take your class outside, but then you have a little break, you know, 10 minute break. You go around a little loop, maybe even just walk around the school building if you're somewhere that's more um, urban and point out some things. Your kids might not 
point out some things because they don't know how to do it. But you go around and you see a grasshopper. You're like, oh, guys, look, it's a grasshopper. Kids have most likely seen grasshoppers. But you pointing it out, you being the one to say, this is cool, shows them that they're also allowed to think that it is. And I think that that is that having that idea going forward, you showing that things are cool and things are interesting. We all can remember a teacher that we had in class um, that did weird, wacky things. Oh, yes, but you yeah. remember them. You yeah. remember that fondly. you were excited about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like you, yeah, you look back fondly, like yeah. you're saying. Yeah. And I think as we all grow older, we know that being weird is cool. And weird is cool. Being... <laughs> I am so own it, owning how, yes. how cool it is to be weird, right? And being excited about things is also really cool. And I think, yeah, those those are my first two steps for you of starting out slow and then also showing your excitement um, and your your passion for the outdoors, whether it's just on walks. It doesn't have to be, you know, backpacking yeah, through all right, of these things, right. but but seeing all the all of the things you can see um, outside. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much um, for joining us in the conversation today, Jessa, for what you do um, with, with kiddos and, and for sharing a bit of your experience with us. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. All I right. appreciate it. You're very welcome. Yeah. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.